Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Great. Good to be able to stand in front of you. It feels like it's been a while since I I last preached from this pulpit. Not because I've been away or whatever, but uh, just lots of other things have been happening. And I've certainly been around, but just uh, feel like it's been a while since I preached. So I'm certainly excited to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. And also to launch us into a new series. As you will know, we finished the book of Judges. We did six weeks in that. We probably could have gone 10, 12, 14 weeks in the book of Judges. But uh, we felt six weeks would hopefully give us a, not just an understanding or an historical understanding of Judges, but also an understanding of how that applies to our lives in this day and age, individually and certainly as a community of believers. But this morning we're launching into a series entitled The Worshipping Body. Now we've chosen that title quite quick, uh, quite carefully because I think all of us know worship is a huge subject. Eh? And in fact, in its broadest sense, worship is anything we do that brings honor and glory to God. In other words, it's us valuing and treasuring God above all things. Would you agree? That's worship. And so if that's true, well then of course, our lives need to be an act of worship as well. Hey? Holy and pleasing to God, because this is our proper and true worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. But the form of worship that we're going to look at over the next four weeks is the worship that we give to God when we gather together as his people. In other words, the worship we give to him in words, in song, in music, in actions, and a whole variety of other things, but then also the heart attitude that accompanies that worship. Because for me, those two are incredibly key, and they need to go together. You can't just worship with heart and have no, no sense of actions or, or being demonstrative in our worship, and the same way we can't just worship with our songs and with our lips while our hearts are far from God. Hey, would you agree? It's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, when he says, these people. Now, whenever Jesus says these people, yes, he was targeting a specific audience. But I want to say, am I included in this? Maybe I need to hear what Jesus says here. And he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And he goes on and he says, they worship me in vain. The New Living Translation says, their worship is a farce. Now, I don't know about you, but the truth is I've probably been guilty of that many, many times. Singing songs with my lips, but my heart not being engaged, or certainly not being fully engaged in what I'm singing and who I'm singing to. And the truth is this, that if there is no heart in worship, You know what? It counts for nothing in God's eyes. It's a farce. And so this morning, the worship that we're talking about then is the corporate activity of putting the supreme worth of God on display as we exalt and glorify him together. That's the form of worship that we're going to explore over the next four weeks. 
In many respects, it's what David said, and he summed it up best in Psalm 34, verse 3, when he said, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And that's what we're here to do this morning. That's what we've done and will continue to do as we've come together, to glorify the Lord as we exalt and honor his name. And we do it together. Huh? All right. So that's just a, a brief introduction of, of where we're going or hopefully what this worship looks like that we're going to be speaking about over these four weeks. And so I've broken it up into four weeks, as I've said, and, and above me or behind me is an outline of it. And so this morning we're going to look at week one, which is the nature of worship. Or put another way, what is worship? The what of worship. Next week we'll look at the purpose of worship. There has to be a purpose for it, which is the why of worship. Week three will be the results of worship. Or put another way, the effect of worship. What does it do? And then lastly, the practice of worship, which is the how of worship. How do we go about doing what God's called us to do? All right. Does that, that sound all right? You looking forward to that? Hopefully we'll see you for four weeks in a row, eh? That might be a miracle, but we're hoping, eh? <laughs> Ah, yeah, already we got someone pulling out here in the front. All right, so let's look at the nature of worship. By nature, I'm talking about the essence, the importance, the value of our corporate worship, our public worship, our communal worship, whatever other term you want to use. And so as I've said, this worship that we're talking about is something we do when we come into God's presence. In many respects, it's us responding to his presence, and we do it with hearts and voices lifted up to him in praise and thanks and adoration. And yet we do it in such a way that those around us can not only hear it, but can benefit from it. Yes, it's directed to God, absolutely. But there is a secondary purpose to our corporate worship is that others can be fueled by it. Others can, some of your worship, some of your voice or your song rubs off and spills over onto those around us and stirs them, encourages them, and maybe even challenges them. Colossians 3 verse 16, Paul exhorts us to be those who sing, who sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How? With thanksgiving in our hearts to who? To God. First and foremost, it's always to God. Even though we may benefit from the person behind us or next to us singing, it's ultimately for God and to God. And that's why I do believe that the primary reason for gathering together as his people is so that we can glorify God. Eh? With hearts and with voices lifted up to him in praise and adoration. It's where we come together collectively expressing our love and our commitment to him. Primarily, that's what we've come to do here this morning. And then follows everything else that happens here on a Sunday, which includes the preaching of God's word. It includes the prayers that are prayed. It includes the testimonies we've heard. It includes the announcements that we're full and plenty of. It includes the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating. It includes welcoming in people on a Sunday. It includes water baptisms. It includes breaking of bread and everything else that we do. But our primary reason is we're here to glorify him first and foremost. And yes, of course, we glorify him in all those other things. I'm not taking that away. 
And I don't want to keep qualifying the kind of worship that we're speaking about this morning. But it's ultimately that our hearts and our eyes are set on he who is so worthy of our worship. Isn't it what God said to Pharaoh when he said, let my people go that they may worship me before anything else they do. First and foremost, it's so they can worship me. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 4 verse 10 when he said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Notice the order there, worship before service. And sometimes we're very good at service. And we put service before worship, but Jesus didn't. It was worship the Lord your God, and as a result of that, yes, serve him with everything you've got. N.T. Wright, a well-known Anglican theologian, says this. He says, from time to time, the church should, should take stock of that which is most central, most important, and most vital in our common life together. Though we sing with the tongues of men and angels, if we are not truly worshiping the living God, we are noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. Though we organize the liturgy most beautifully, if it does not enable us to worship the living God, we are mere ballet dancers. Though we repave the floor and carpet the stage and attract and, and resurface the stonework, though we balance the budgets and attract all the seekers, if we are not worshiping God, we are nothing. Which then means corporate worship is not an optional extra for the church. It's the very nature of the church. It is the heart of the church. It is the life of the church. It is the breath of the church. It's why we exist. And it's what we've been called to do. Huh? And what we've been created for. The Westminster Catechism puts it like this. When it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yes, generally, as we go about our day-to-day -day life, wherever we find ourselves, that yes, we would be glorifying God, we would be enjoying Him at every moment, in every situation. But can I say equally true when we come together like this? The chief reason for gathering is to glorify God. And not as a duty, friend, but as an absolute delight. It was C.S. Lewis who said, in commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Both go wonderfully together. Huh? And so in Isaiah 43 verse 7, God speaks of his sons and his daughters as those whom he created for his glory. Wow. Before anything else, you have been created for God's glory. And you know what God so wants and so desires for you to express that? And to share that and to tell him how much he means to you. Huh? Which is why then worship is more about our relationship with God than it is about the form that it takes. Huh? Whether our worship is charismatic or liturgical in nature. Whether it's loud or whether it's quiet. Whether it's fast or slow. Whether we're rejoicing in it or lamenting in it. Whether it's high energy or meditative. Whether we're dancing or whether we're kneeling. 
whether we do it with raised hands or with lowered faces, whether we testifying to God's goodness or confessing our sin before him, it does not matter. The form, the way we do it is not the issue. Which is why I truly believe that worship and if worship is more about God and if it is for God, then the truth is we will not be concerned or overly concerned about the style or about the tempo or about the arrangement of our corporate worship. It won't be so important which worship team is up here on a Sunday. It won't be so important who's leading the music or who's playing the drums or any of those things because it's for our king above all things. eh? In Ephesians 1 verse 12, Paul says that we who first hoped in Christ might live for the praise of his glory. Wow. The praise of his glory, friends, is what we need to live for. It's what we made for. It's what we called to do. And, of course, what we'll be doing for all eternity. Praising his absolute glory. And so the point is, is that God alone is worthy of our praise. In fact, Scripture says he won't share his glory with another. And it would be good for us to remember that. And so the nature of worship, as I said, is what we're looking at this morning. I want to give three, three aspects to it. Number one, and I've touched on it already, that God is worthy of our worship. Secondly, that worship is about us doing the will of God. And then thirdly, how God seeks worshipers, or sorry, how he seeks worship as much as he seeks worshipers. Eh? All right, so let's look at these then. Firstly, let me ask the question then, well, if God is worthy of worship, well, then everything that happens in our worship service, notice worship service and not worship serve us, okay, it's a service, then everything that happens here should be designed to call attention to God and to get people to think about him. It's never to make it about ourselves. It's never to think that somehow worship is for us or for our benefit or even for our betterment. Although can I say that will be a byproduct when we do it. But ultimately it's for God. And I'm amazed how many times I hear people say to me things like, I love the worship this morning. Or the worship really blessed me this morning. Or maybe on the other hand, I actually didn't get that much out of the worship this morning. Or the songs we sung weren't really my cup of tea. Notice how often the word I and my came through there. Well, let me remind you, it's not for you. (laughs) And it's not about you. It's for God's benefit. And it's for his blessing. And it's to bring him pleasure. Not to make you feel warm or fuzzy. It's about him and it's for him. This is how David puts it, Psalm 22 verse 3, when he says, You, you are enthroned, speaking of God, as the one, as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. He's saying, not me, not the nation. You are the one that Israel praises. Or as the footnote says, you are the one enthroned on the praises of Israel. 
And all of that is true in terms of the one who is so worthy of our worship. And that's why I want to say that worship is an end in itself, in that it's always for God and as such needs to be directed to God for who he is and all that he's done, all that he's doing. Worship is not the prelude to the main event. Worship is not the warm-up to the preaching of God's word. And how do I know sometimes that in some people's hearts it is the warm-up to the main event, the preaching of God's word? It's because you arrive, you arrive late during our so-called worship. Now, I'm not having a go at anyone because I'm sitting in the front and I'm focused on God and what I'm singing. So I don't know who comes in late. But I think it's a good reminder and for each of us to take stock that we need to see our time as we gather to exalt and glorify God as the most important time that we have together. And therefore, I don't want to be late for it. I don't want to dishonor God by arriving at 10 past 10, 20 past 10, half past 10. But actually, I'm here, I'm ready and I'm prepared because I want to give my best to him. It is the main event, my friend. Why? Because it's about the main one. And it's for the main one. Who sits on a throne, ruling the nations. In Revelation, we have this wonderful picture of worship that is taking place this very moment. In Revelation 4 verse 11, it tells us how the 24 elders fall down before him saying, You are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. These elders, let me tell you, were moved by their revelation of who it is that is standing before them. And I trust that that would be true for you as it is true for me. That every time we come into God's presence like we've done this morning, we would be undone we would be so moved by who it is that we're singing our praise and our worship to. That we're not just ticking boxes. We're not just going through the motions. We're not just doing it because tradition says this is what we do. No, we do it because of the example we see in heaven this very moment. We do it because of the, the, the scriptures, plentiful, that urge us, that encourage us, that even command us to do it. Revelation 5.12 it's not just the 24 elders, but it says the multitude of angels sang in a loud voice. <laughs> you are allowed to get loud when we sing. Heather, tell them. You should see Heather up here. You saw her this morning with her tambourine. You do well on the tambourine, by the way. Previous church I had, we had the tambourine under discipline. It was hidden in the cupboard because no one knew how to play it properly. <laughs> But it says here, they sang in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Amazing, eh? But what's so fascinating about these two particular passages of scripture is we see that they sang both to God and they also sang about God. But it was never about themselves. And you know what? It was never passive, eh? 
they were fully engaged in worship. What a testimony, what an example for, for me, for us, to be fully engaged. Eh? And you know what makes worship so personal is that God is in the room with us. Eh? God dwells with worshiping people just as he inhabits the praises of worshipers, as scripture says. And so that's the first point. God is worthy of worship. And Jesus made it clear that if we will not worship God, then he will cause the rocks to cry out in worship. (laughs) I want to be one who chooses to do it because he is so worthy of it. Secondly, we see that worship is about us doing and not just doing, but fulfilling the will of God. Now, why do I say that? Because scripture is clear on it. And so it will come up behind me, so making it easy for you, you don't need to turn there unless you'd like to. But in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're just going to read from verse 15 through to 20. And Paul, of course, writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says to them, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore... Now, I've always realized that there is a a therefore because God wants to say something. It's good to know what the therefore is there for. And he says, therefore, Paul now explains what it is to be wise and to make the most of the time when he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And here it is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead... Here it is. This is God's will. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And being filled with the Spirit is what enables us to do everything that Paul has listed here. And so in the context of being wise, And of making the most of our time, Paul includes both singing spiritual psalms to each other and singing to the Lord, which means then that corporate worship is not just us understanding what the Lord's will is, but being prepared to do it, giving our best to it, living it out as he's shown us in his word. Now, of course, the psalms and other places, but certainly the Psalms, are full of commands for us to praise God and worship, which again, we can either obey or we can disobey. Simple as that, hey? So here's a few, and there's so many, but I've just pulled out four. Psalm 96, verse 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Be good to take heed of that. eh? Psalm 98 verse 4, shout for joy to the Lord. You are allowed to shout. (laughs) I've heard some of you at the rugby games. You know how to shout. Well, you know what? We can shout for joy. eh? Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song 
with music. So grateful for our worship teams that help us to do that on a Sunday. Psalm 99 verse 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Friends, this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. To be joyful in praise. To pray and to praise continually. To give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is now God's perfect will for us in Christ Jesus. Number three. God seeks worship. In that he wants to be worshipped. Absolutely. And... He seeks worshipers. He's looking this morning into this auditorium, saying, who are the worshipers amongst us? Those who will worship, how? In spirit and in truth. It's an amazing story of a woman, a Samaritan woman, who meets Jesus at the well. And Jesus engages her, which again was culturally not normal, for a man to speak to a woman. But Jesus isn't into cultural norms, is he? And he has this dialogue with this particular lady. And just for the sake of time, we won't read the whole story. But we'll pick it up in verse 20 of John chapter 4. And she says to Jesus, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Just pause there for a moment. We worship him who I trust we know. eh? And we are growing in our knowledge and our revelation of him. Very hard to worship someone you're unfamiliar with. Someone you don't know much about. And there's the challenge for all of us to be growing in our revelation of who it is that we worship. Getting to know him intimately. Getting to know his nature, his character, his attributes. Getting to know what burns on his heart. What does his heart beat with? But that's another preach. And he goes on to say, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And so Jesus is saying how you worship and whom you worship is far more important than where you worship. eh? Same true for us today. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, notice true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus is saying, no longer is worship limited to temples and to te- techniques and to, tr- and to traditions. No longer. But rather, it's now a spiritual activity that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. What we are doing this morning is spiritual. And it is and needs to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 3 verse 3. When he says, for it is we who worship. How? By the Spirit of God. It's the only way. 
And that's why to worship without the presence and without the enabling and the empowering of the Spirit, can I say, is not New Testament worship. The worship that God seeks is Spirit-led, is Spirit-filled, and it's Spirit-enabled worship. In Galatians 4, verse 6, Paul writing to the church there, and he says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. A very, very dear term, that. But again, it's only the Holy Spirit who enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. It's only the Holy Spirit that allows us to get personal and intimate with God in worship. And so, yes, true worship does involve every part of who we are, every faculty. It involves our bodies, absolutely. From the lifting of our heads to the lifting of our hands to the kneeling before him in worship to lying prostrate before him. Clapping our hands, stamping our feet, and if it's not our feet, then at least let it be our big toe, at least. Our bodies need to be worshiping God. But as our bodies worship God, so our mouths need to be expressing our praise and our worship to God. That our voices are raised up in prayer, in thanksgiving, in song, whatever it is. But even more important than that, our spirits need to be worshiping. Our spirit ignited by his spirit. It's where our spirit, small s, communes with him who is spirit, capital S. And that was Mary's worship in Luke 1 verse 46, where she says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My point is this, God seeks those who will worship him in spirit, who will worship him in the spiritual realm, who will worship with spirits that have been made alive by his spirit and not just those going through the motions and ultimately ending up doing it in the flesh. No, he's looking for those whose spirits are responding to him in worship. And you know what? This kind of worship is not optional, eh? We actually don't have a choice in the matter. Because Jesus says those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. Not could worship, should worship. No, must worship in spirit and truth. Now I know as a Kiwi, we don't like being told you must do anything. eh? Am I right? Pretty much. There we go. But Jesus wasn't afraid to say that. No, those worshipers God is looking for must worship. In spirit and in truth. Which means then that if our spirits are not worshipping God, we are not truly worshipping God. Can do a whole lot of other things. There can be a whole lot of outward activity. But we're not truly worshipping God the way he wants to be worshipped. And if our worship isn't true, if it isn't real, if it isn't authentic, if it's not in accordance with God's word, then again I want to say we haven't truly worshipped Yes, we may have sung a song. We may even have danced. We may even have, have swung from the chandeliers if we had any. But it's not true worship. 
A.W. Tozer put it like this when he said, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. Now, I'm not saying we don't use some of the cultural trends, particularly if it's going to draw people in, particularly the younger people. So personally, I have no issues with flashing lights and smoke machines if it's going to draw people in. But oh, don't let that be the thing that distracts us from worshiping the true God. If it enhances worship, I'm all for it. Because I've been in worship where it's been in a cathedral, and I've, been worship, I've worshiped with all of my heart. And I've been in worship where it's been like a, a rock club, a nightclub, whatever that thing looks like. I've heard about it. <laughs> but you know what? I've still worshipped because I didn't allow the smoke and the noise and the lights get in the way of my worship with God. Because we, as we started by saying, who is it for and who is it about? Eh? All right. True worship. True worship. Because God is looking for true worship and worshipers that worship in truth. Eh? True worship is based on a right understanding of God's nature and a right valuing of God's worth. Let's never forget that. It's not something that is self-generated in us. It's not something that we conjure up or work up within us. Rather, it's the outpouring of our hearts in response to who God is. And again, can only be done in the power of God's spirit. Worship is deeply emotional. Deeply emotional. In that it's got to be sincere. It's got to be heartfelt. But worship is also deeply doctrinal. In that it's got to be accurate. And it's got to be biblical. Which means then we worship both with our hearts. And we worship with our heads. Not one or the other. And I've come across too many people, and I've been in that category, where you lean one or the other. You tend to go to this camp. It's only emotion. And you'll sing anything because it's all just the honor of singing and praising God. But no thought goes into it. And then you get on the other side of the extreme. The thinkers. Those who think you have to be very staid in worship. And there's no emotion, no heart in it. God wants both, eh? Worship in spirit and in truth. Heart and head. Emotion and doctrine. All working together. Let's bring it to a close. The nature of worship is what we've talked about this morning. Is based on our revelation of who it is that we're worshipping. And it's based on the relationship we have with the one that we worship. Both are so important. Our revelation, let that continue to grow, and our relationship with him, let that continue to grow. It's where we would seek his beauty before his blessings, where we would seek his face before his hand, where the giver of the gifts is more important to us than the gifts that he's got to offer. That's the worship we're talking about this morning. Or as someone put it, we worship God authentically when we know him truly and treasure him duly. That's authentic worship. It's where we have an expectation of truly encountering God every time we come together. 
every time. Where we're able to commune and to connect with God on a very deep and personal level. Friends, I want to say this is the worship and the worshipers that God is looking for. Will you be one of those? Will I be one of those? Because he's seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. Next week, Liam's going to have a look at the purpose of worship, which is the why. Why we should worship. Why is worship so important, so necessary? And so he's going to tackle that next Sunday. But this morning, hopefully, was just to lay a foundation of the nature of worship. What is the worship that God is looking for? And I hope your hearts have been stirred this morning. I don't want us just to do business as usual with God in our worship. Just carry on like we've always done for the last 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, who knows. But actually I'm trusting that the lights come on in our own hearts to know what is the worship that God wants and therefore what does the nature of worship look like.